Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. All right, well, it's my privilege today to, to uh, share from God's Word. Uh, and as we open our Bibles uh, together today and posture our hearts to hear and to understand God's word, I want for us to understand this, that our concern when approaching scripture should not only be that we should uh, uh, know what the Bible says is true, we should also importantly know what the Bible emphasizes. So all scripture is important. But the Bible does emphasize some things over other things. Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24, um, is a case in point where Jesus, we'll just take a moment here. How many of you have your own copy? We've had, we have been having computer issues lately. You probably have noticed that again. But um, some of you have devices and some of you have old-fashioned print, like like me, um, Matthew 23, 23 and 24. So I guess I'm just going to read that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And he says to them, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So all things Scripture says are important. All of Scripture is important. Uh, but the Bible itself has some things that it emphasizes over th- other things. And we need to be aware of this if we're going to understand and appreciate what God wants for us. And one of the things that's emphasized in Scripture in regards to how we are to live our lives is the power of our words. And that's our topic this morning. I hope you appreciated uh, Josh's message last week on the subject of food. And if you did, then you will recall perhaps at the beginning of his message last week, he reiterated this fact that our core message that we share is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that the good news of Jesus trickles down into and has implications in every area of our life. All right? It's important. So today we're thinking about our words and how they matter. So take a quick look with me at Colossians 3, verse 17. Paul writes, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. I'm sure you've seen that passage before if you've been around any length of time. Around, uh, around the church or, or scripture. But, uh, but, but look, take another look at that. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our words matter. The message today is entitled Free Speech, the Power of Words Well Chosen. Now, free speech usually gets associated with Uh, democracy. Uh, That's typically what comes to mind when we hear the expression freedom of speech. 
However, I would like for us to expand our thinking a little bit this morning on this because Jesus says, uh, if he sets us free, we will be free indeed. So that's John chapter 8 and verse 36. So the connection then between free speech and the freedom that is in Jesus is talking about, what would that connection be? Well, when it comes to our speech or our words, if you will, uh, it's not just authoritarian suppression that we need to concern ourselves with because the truth be known, there are many things that can bind up our hearts and take captive our thoughts and prevent us from speaking well. Furthermore, and this would be important as well, in Christ, we are not free to say whatever we want. We are free to choose words well and honor God with the fruit of our lips. Take a look at the verse again, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the topic today is important and it's also practical. The power of our words. The power of words well chosen. Words, words are powerful. Words are amazing. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if I were just to pull a word out of the air and say it to you, uh, something like, and, I, and I, I thought about this in advance, and I saw almost say the word bicycle. Three little syllables, that, different sounds that come out of my mouth, but it's really quite amazing when you really think of it that all I have to do is say that word bicycle, and every single one of you can picture, even though a bicycle is a fairly complex piece of equipment, when you think about it. But Im immediately your mind can picture exactly what it is I'm talking about, even though there is no bicycle in sight. Nobody drove their bike to church today. Um, so it really is quite amazing, really, when you think about it. Hu human language is an amazing thing. Now, here's a word picture for you. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11 says, a word fitly spoken, is, some of you know this passage, is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. The author is saying in very much a, a, a picture, um, word picture format that a word well chosen is a beautiful thing. Proverbs 20, uh, 15, 23 says, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. How good it is. A word in season, an answer aptly chosen. Don't let this fact escape you. When God chose to reveal himself and his will to us, he chose to use human language to do that. We have his word. 
Language is an amazing thing and words have power. I'd like to just unpack that a little bit more with us this morning. <clears throat> there are numerous warnings in scripture, throughout scripture. Uh, God's word to us uh, warns us about uh, the need for us to be in control of our tongues. We need to be able to hold our tongues. Uh, because true freedom, if we're talking about freedom, true freedom is not being out of control. Paul lists self-control as part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter uh, 5, correct? Take a look at this proverb, Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Now, <laughs> when I say that this is an important subject, but also a very practical one, here's something really practical. Because Proverbs 17:28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. There are times when we just need to stop talking. You start to say something and you think, you know what? I'm not going to say that. I would be better, everybody would be better off if I just held my tongue. Having control over the words that come out of our mouths. Choosing our words wisely, choosing our words well because words have power. Um, James chapter 1 and verse 19, a familiar passage, statement there from James. Know this, he says, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. The reference to anger here is important, and the subject of anger shows up a lot in the biblical teachings about our use of words. Why? Because our words have power and they can be, that can go either way. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You suppose that's a hyperbole? Well, consider these words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, where he says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Our words are powerful. And they can do great harm or great good. And therefore, we are accountable for our words. And it's not a small thing. 
Speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And then he calls them a brood of vipers. He's speaking to the Pharisees there. He says, how, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, or out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Have you ever read this before? (laughs) It's sobering, isn't it? For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Excuse me. Words are powerful things. Our words are powerful things. Words, well spoken, have amazing power for good. Careless words, on the other hand, can do great harm. And we are accountable and must take responsibility for these, these things. So why are our words so significant? What is it that gives them such destructive power? Uh, Before we talk a little bit about the the power for good, I mean, uh, consider as well these words from Jesus. In Mark 7, verse 18, he said, then you are also without understanding. Do you not see that whatsoever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Josh talked about this uh, last Sunday. Uh, Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. <clears throat> now, that's a lot of negative stuff, right? And we don't like talking about negative stuff, especially, I mean, you, you know, when you, I think I talked about something really negative the last time I was up here, and people <laughs> responded to that. And by the way, if I came across harsh on some of those points, I thought about it afterwards, and I thought, yeah, it probably sounded really, really harsh. But what we have to understand here is this, Jesus is warning us about something that is destructive to our lives and the lives of other people. The stakes couldn't be higher. And while we don't like talking about these things, we do need to think about them because of their importance. Uh, The Apostle James has a a whole section on the tongue. Most of you who would read your Bibles, you're familiar with the, uh, the letter of James, the epistle there, where he talks about the power of the tongue. Um, Jesus' reference to the overflow of the heart and and all those horrible things that can spew out of our mouths, out of the overflow of our hearts. Um, You you know, Jesus is concerned about our hearts. Um, The matters of the heart matter. And James, he says a lot there, but one of the things he says, he says, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. This tongue is set among our members, uh, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. 
It's hard to imagine something more destructive than what the apostle and what Jesus are talking about here. Now, I know it's not, it's not always uh, clear to us how, how hurtful our words can be. And, and sometimes it's much more subtle than this. I mean, like, when's the last time you walked up to somebody and just insulted them? Right? Well, most of us aren't going to do that. There's a few of you that might, but... Most of us aren't going to do that, but you know, some, sometimes it's 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 it could even be with good intentions. We were at a national conference there week before last, and I had an opportunity to take in a, a great workshop there, and uh, a gal named Krista. I can't honestly I don't remember her last name, but she was sharing there uh, that something happened to her when she was 13 years old, her dad said something like this. He said, Krista, you really should watch your diet because boys don't like big girls. Now, her father never intended to hurt her with those remarks, but she shared in, with us in that workshop how she spent the best part of her life trying to uh, process the hurtful effect of those words had on her heart. So it doesn't always have to be intentional. It doesn't even have to always be um, uh, sound like, you know, all those things that Jesus talked about. But what we have to understand is our words have amazing power to do harm or thankfully to do good. It doesn't even sometimes come down to what we say, but what we don't say. There are times when we need to hold our tongues, but there are times when we need to speak and we don't. Like the man who stood weeping over his, his wife's grave, saying over and over and over again, oh, how I loved her, oh, how I loved her. And he just continued and continued until finally somebody walked up to him and said, it's okay, we understand. We know that you loved your wife. And he said, no, you don't understand. I almost told her once. Sometimes it's the words we don't say that we should say. Because this morning, what we're talking about is the power of words well chosen. And we're talking about free speech because Jesus said that he would, if we, he set us free, we would be free indeed. But we need to ask the question, what are we set free from and what are we set free for? because we're not free to do as we please and we're not free to speak as we please. Just as an out-of-control tongue can cause immeasurable damage, either by words wrong, uh, wrong words spoken or right words left unsaid, the good news is that Scripture says a lot about the potential of life-giving words. The power of words well chosen. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says, there is one who is rash with words are, um, whose words are like sword thrusts. That's an interesting word picture there, isn't it? There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
There's the contrast for us right there. Proverbs 15 verse four says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Proverbs 16 verse 24 says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Amazing, you know, the capacity that words have, we underestimate the power of words. Scripture says that words can, can give health. Words can even give life. So what makes for well-chosen words? I think we need to spend a little time thinking about that. What makes, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> what makes for well-chosen words? And obviously a number of things could be said. Timing is important. Um, the the uh, Proverbs 15, 23 verse was uh, on the screen a moment ago, talks about a word in season. And so timing is really, really important. And that last verse spoke, uh, uh, that's Proverbs uh, uh, 16, verse 24, talks about gracious words. Gracious words. And I've always loved the way Paul said it in Colossians chapter four and verse six, he says, let your speech always be gracious. Boy, that word always there is important, isn't it? Is there ever a time when our words should not be gracious? Well, maybe it's when we're saying really hard things. No. No, because even then, our words. Paul says, let your speech Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. So there is so much to this and so many important things about it. Um, Jesus uh, said, we are to bless those who curse us. So maybe that's the time when our words shouldn't be gracious, when, when we're being attacked. Jesus said, Bless those who curse you. So our words aren't simply reactionary. Well-chosen words uh, aren't simply reactionary or, or responding in kind. Wow, it's hard to not do that. It's really hard, isn't it? Take a look at these words from the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. I think this is directly in relation to Jesus' words, you know, uh, bless those who curse you, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. In your hearts. God is concerned ultimately about the matters of our hearts. He says, in your hearts set Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It is remarkable how many times we are instructed in Scripture to be gentle and gentle with our words. I don't know if you've thought about this, but the term gentleman came into our culture from the New Testament. 
when somebody stands up and says, ladies and gentlemen, that's a Christian idea. And it's uh, something that we're losing in our culture. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be them, by the way, is the people, the people in the church. Paul's talking to Titus and saying, you know, this is, this is when you're pastoring this church that I left you and responsible for. This is something you need to do. You need to remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Bless you. To avoid quarreling. To be gentle. And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I mentioned earlier, one of the reasons I, as I pondered some of these thoughts and prepared for this morning, one of the reasons I chose the, the title Free Speech for this message is because I want us to ponder the question free from what? Colossians chapter three, verse eight says, you must put them all away. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Peter says in first Peter chapter two, verse one, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And over and over and over again throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, we are admonished about how incredibly powerful our words are for good or ill. And of course, the um, reading assignment, the advanced reading assignment, for those of you who took note of that, was Ephesians chapter 4. What an amazing book, the book of Ephesians is, and Ephesians chapter 4 is just packed full of so many important and practical things for us as as Christians as we live our lives for Jesus. But um, obviously the whole chapter is more than, there's so much in there, but I just really wanted to draw our attention this morning to to the things in Ephesians chapter 4 that talk about our speech or our words. And of course, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 contains that well-known phrase, speaking the truth in love, right? We've all heard that. Speaking the truth in love, it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. And then in verse 16, it goes on to talk about the importance of building one another up. The Greek word oikodomeo, building up people with our words. Because speaking in love, uh, or speaking the truth, sorry, in love is the action that's assigned there to the result of building one another up. And then the chapter ends with these words, Ephesians 4, verse 30 and 31, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let's just stop there for a second and acknowledge the fact that when our mouths are out of control, when our words are not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when we are not speaking powerful words well for good, we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed 
for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, I want you to back up with me just a little bit to verse 29 because this is the verse that always comes to my mind. This is the first verse that always comes to my mind whenever I think about this subject. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Notice those explanatory notes there. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So that's zero, okay? But only, so this is corrupting talk would be destructive, would be the power of the tongue to destroy. Um, but, but only all the words that come out of my mouth should be good for uh, edifying or building people up, fitting as fits the occasion, and that would relate to the timing thing as well, and that it may give grace to those who hear. So when we think about the question that our speech should be free, it should be free from what? It should be free of corruption. According to Ephesians chapter uh, 4 and verse 29, our speech should be free of corruption. And it should be free for what? It should be free to build up that it may give grace. Ephesians 4.29, that it may give grace to those who hear. It is amazing how often in Scripture gentleness is connected with our words. It's also quite striking how often grace is connected to our words. Speaking of the uh, event we refer to as the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said this in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and 21, for the creation was subju subjected to futility. Again, he's talking about that the fall of mankind into sin, Genesis chapter 3. It says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In other words, God, the consequences, God uh, enacted the consequences, but he did it in, in, in hope. The gospel message is contained in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, right? He did it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So from bondage to freedom, from corruption to glory. <clears throat> Our words should be free of corruption, free of malice, free of bitterness, free of slander, and the list goes on. Our words should be edifying. They should speak grace Love, joy, peace, hope, glory. Now, we're two-thirds of the way through my notes. What time is it? Oh, good. We're doing good. Just so, just so you know, I'm two-thirds of the way through. So, 
if you're keeping track of the time, that sometimes that helps, you know. But I just got a couple more things I'd like to I'd like to say and speak to you. This is not all about um, fluffy words or vain compliments. It's not about patronizing people or you know complimenting somebody so that you they'll they'll like you or or give you something. It's not about drivel. But let me, let me say this to you. It's about thoughtful and constructive words, well chosen and intentionally used to speak love and grace into people's lives. The letters that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, First and Second Corinthians, we, we refer to them in that way. Uh, those, are, those letters contain some of the most... Uh, What did I write down here? <laughs> corrective material. Corrective material. If you've ever read First and Second Corinthians, you know there's a lot of correction in there, right? And yet Paul says over and over again in Second Corinthians, he, he tells them, he says, God gave me the authority to say these things to you, not to tear you down, but to build you up. There's a difference. And of course, this is where we really need a lot of wisdom. We need a lot of wisdom. Because how many times have you had somebody say to you, I'm just being honest with you. I'm just going to be honest with you. And you go, oh boy, here it comes. Because the truth is that it requires a lot of wisdom on our part to know how to say, how to speak the truth in love. Because sometimes we should just not say it. But even when God leads us to say it, wow, how, how we say it, the attitude of our hearts, because this is all heart stuff more than anything, right? Um, you know the old the old advice uh, was to say for every one uh, critical or negative thing that you say to your kids, you better say how many positive things? How many is it? Seven. Yeah, that's what I had heard as well. Seven things. I don't know. I mean, that's not scripture, but but it it, it is probably there's probably some wisdom in that, right? Um, the Proverbs that we've been quoting from extensively this morning, they're part of the Old Testament wisdom literature, right? So here's, here's another proverb. Proverbs 12, 25 says this. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But a good word makes him glad. One of the things that Alex shared this morning when he was up here is uh, that they heard at the conference was that this generation, this, this young generation now, they call it Generation Z, Z, sorry, uh, would be, uh, my understanding of that is this, that means if you're from between the ages of 12 and 25, you belong to Generation Z. And you, they are the most anxious generation ever. 
Anxiety is the biggest problem they seem to be dealing with. It's part of that whole mental health thing. So what should we do about that? Well, let's chastise them for being anxious. <laughs> let's make fun of them because they're weak. Those are tempting things to do, especially if you're a boomer. <laughs> But Proverbs says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety in a young man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Anxiety in a young woman's heart weighs her down. But a good word makes her glad because there is power in words. Well spoken. We need to be wise with our words. But then there's also that whole heart issue, right? Because along with wisdom, we need to have a heart of love and grace. And John the Apostle tells us that we love because he first loved us. We love because God first loved us. Our capacity to be able to love comes from being loved. And I would suggest to you that you can't give what you don't have. And in order to extend grace to people, we need to receive grace. We need to receive God's grace. Let me say this to you. I've observed it many, many times in uh, the lives of people around me. I've, I've observed it many, many times in my own life. And it is this. A critical, judgmental spirit is a symptom My propensity to be critical of others always seems to come from my inability to be able to receive God's grace. We started this morning with Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, and, or verse 17, I guess. <laughs> Excuse me. I want you to take a look at that verse again, but this time we're going to look at the immediate context. So Colossians 3, 17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the God, to God the Father through him. But look at verse 16. The immediate preceding context says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, uh, we, we, do, we talk about those times in our lives when words fail us. <clears throat> we say, you know what? Can't put it in words. Words are just, they're inadequate to, to say what needs to be said right now, which is kind of an interesting way to look at it. But 
Here's what I suspect. I suspect that most of the time, the problem is not in the words, in the failure of words. I suspect it's more in us failing to learn so we can choose them well and use them well as we allow God's spirit to work in us through his power. Sure, we talk about the times when words fail us, but I suspect that most of the time, maybe not all the time, but most of the time, what's really going on is a failure on our part to learn well and to make sure that Christ is on the throne of our lives so that we can submit to him and choose our words well and allow God to use them according to his power. Because words are powerful. Listen, God spoke this world into existence. Did you notice that, Genesis 1? God spoke this world into existence. Do you think that detail is there just because it doesn't really matter? It's insignificant? I don't think so. And then you come to John chapter 1 and verse 1, 2, 3, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It w- he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I believe there is a much more power in a word than we realize. I believe that inherent within this biblical idea of being made in the image of God is the ability to communicate, language. And when we are reconciled back from sin into a right relationship with God, in order to image him, and given the spirit of God to live in us, that the ability to speak the truth in love with grace is a direct consequence of that. <clears throat> the Hamas terrorists decided long ago that violence is the only answer. And they couldn't be more wrong about that. very concerning, isn't it? I, I have concerns about many things. I'm concerned about the situation in the Middle East, and I'm sure you all are as well. I'm concerned when I see universities, in particular, uh, in our part of the world, become more destructive than cons- constructive, because as ironic as it is, they have largely turned away from truth, choosing instead, along with the culture in general, to confuse feelings with truth and then elevate feelings over truth, which is a disastrous error to make. It's just devastating, our culture. I have a concern for the lack of, Generally, the lack of literacy in our culture. 
and in our Christian homes. I'm concerned about a lack of passion for reading and writing and learning and thinking. Because let me say this, we will not speak well if we do not think well. Literacy, that's something that has traditionally been championed by the Christian church. If you study history, you will see, or at least the history of the, the world that we live in to, today in, in the Western world, for sure, but, but really globally, uh, if you study it, you will see that everywhere the church of Jesus went on mission, it started what? Schools and hospitals. And now we've lived long enough to see almost all of those schools go off the rails. But the, but the vision for and the, the passion for and the value of, of literacy and learning how to use words well. I am concerned hearing this past week Alex isn't in the room, but he mentioned this as well, that this week, the average adolescent, did you hear this? The average adolescent in our uh, world, really, uh, now has eight to nine hours of screen time a day. Now, that includes television, but most of it is social media, and most of it is TikTok. And now, it's not anecdotal anymore. Now, they, they've, they've studied this long enough to see the results are in. And what they are seeing lived out in the lives of these young people is an increase in aggression and violence and impulsivity and anxiety and depression. It's actually rewiring the brains of kids. Now, I'm on my last page of notes, but I do want to say this. Uh, if you are a parent and you have a child or children who are, well, the experts are saying 16 and under, but they had, the studies they did were on kids with brain, with, uh, kids with 12 and under, and they discovered that those kids actually, it actually slowed the development of their brains to give them screen time. The woman I heard uh, uh, making the announcement, she's not a believer, but she says, my kid ain't getting a cell phone, smartphone until they're 16. Because she's seen the stats and she's seen the results. And I just... I just, I hope that we will be concerned about these things because, anyways, and may, am I off topic? <laughs> I might be a little bit off topic. I've got one page of notes left. So here we go. What about you and I? What about those of us who follow Jesus? Well, here's a few scriptures for us to think about, and then I want to just make some including remarks, and I have one more scripture maybe after that, but... Uh, so Matthew chapter 10, uh, this won't be on your screen because I didn't give it to, to Dave, these two passages. But listen to this. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. You've read that. 
And then he says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious. That's the word marim now that Jesus used in Matthew chapter six, by the way. Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, as we read those words, and maybe you've read those words before, and, and maybe you've been tempted to think that, that, what that what Jesus is saying here is that we do not need to concern ourselves with learning the words that we need to speak. Because we can just trust God when the time comes to put the words in our mouths. Let me suggest to you humbly, if I could, that's not how it works. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Let me suggest to you that Jesus is talking about courage or boldness, if you will. Because God is not in the business of putting, or practice of putting words into our mouths that we've never heard before or read. Listen to these words from Jesus. He said it in John 14. He said to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So what I'm saying to you, I'm suggesting to you that Jesus' admonition to trust in the Spirit of God for the words that he will give us is in fact the words that he will bring to our minds, words that we've heard, read, used, learned, and that's not set in opposition to the need to learn to speak well. It's more about being free from fear. I would suggest to you it's more about being free from fear. So in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you to be, and you will be my witnesses. Acts chapter 4, they drag Peter and John before the council, and they say, we are going to forbid you, and if, and if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going we're gonna to do more than just give you a lecture. We're going to beat you. And their response was, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And it says there that the council marveled and took note that these men had been with Jesus. That is to say, they had seen stuff and they had heard stuff. And now they were talking about what they had seen and heard. So they threatened them and they kicked them out and they went their way. It says they went away and they began to pray. And then in chapter 4, verse 18 uh, through verse 31, it says, uh, and the place when they prayed, the place which they were were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And there were power in their words. There was power in their words. And God used them to see people brought into the grace uh, of the kingdom of God. But you can't give what you don't have. (coughs) 
I'm not talking just about things that are profound or prophetic. I don't think that that's the idea. I'm, I know we read a verse like, you know, we'll give account for every word, every careless word we've spoken, and we think, gee, so much for small talk. You know, everything I say has to be measured and intentional and serious and, and important, earth-shakingly important. I don't think that's what God wants us to take from this. You know, sometimes when you're sitting around with a bunch of friends and you're just chatting, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? I think that's just part of doing life together. But we do have to be careful, don't we? We have to be careful and we have to be, here's a word, intentional. Because if I could kind of try to pull some of these thoughts together, my concern this morning for us is that we realize how powerful our words can be and how much we need to make sure we choose them well so that we can allow God to use us to build people up and, and, and extend grace to people and encourage one another because there's an incredible, we have an, been given an incredible power by God to do that. Uh, when we flew to, um, and the, uh, uh, one story and one scripture, and I'm done. When we flew to the National Conference two weeks ago, um, Josh and Alex and I sat in three seats beside each other. Um, we chatted most of the way. Some small talk, but mostly really important stuff. But anyways, um, so when we, we got to, to Toronto, I, I ended up staying with Doug Lake because Doug had a whole room all to himself, and I was, well, they weren't sure on the cot thing whether they were even going to be able to supply us with a cot so I said to Doug, hey, you know, do you mind if I bunk with you? So that's what we did, and I ended up bunking with Doug. And Doug was telling me that on his trip up, he flew up by himself, and he sat uh, beside this lady uh, and got to share his faith with her, and, which was really cool. No surprise, those of you who know Doug, he's, he's an evangelist uh, to the sole of his feet. <laughs> and... Uh, but what was interesting, though, was when he told me the story, he said that when he got on the plane and he plunked himself down beside this, this lady, that she just kind of gave him kind of one of those looks, and he wasn't sure how it was all going to go. But then they got talking and sharing, and Doug got to share really, really good conversation about the Lord with her. And then at one point, the woman said to him, you know, she said, when I sat down in the seat... And then I seen you coming. I, I, my first thought in my mind was, oh man, the last thing I want is to spend this flight engaging in small talk with some stranger. Praise God that didn't happen. <laughs> because Doug was prepared to speak well. And to share well-chosen words. And who knows what the impact on this woman will be. I don't know. I don't even know who she was. But I get excited to think of what God can do. 
when we step into the freedom, including the freedom from fear that he has for us, and recognize the power of words well chosen. So, scripture, last scripture, last words. Isaiah 50, verse 4. I don't know if you've read this one before. Tucked into the Old Testament book of Isaiah. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Like Josh said last week, we preach the gospel, but the message of the gospel, the true truth of the gospel trickles down into all of the areas of our lives. And there is no better news than the gospel. And all of those applications, there's so much we can say to benefit one another. I'm, we're going to stop there. I'm going to ask you to stand. <coughs> what time did I start talking? It's an hour and a half. <laughs> Doug, you sound like you're speaking from experience. It's 5 to 12. And uh, uh, thank you for your patience. Um, will, you, uh, will you pray with me as we close the service? And... and uh, Will you consider praying a prayer with me about this important thing we've talked about this morning? Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the amazing potential that you have set out for us to be involved in speaking into the lives of others. Help us, Lord, because the control of our hearts by your spirit is something we struggle with on an ongoing basis and the control of our tongues both to speak good words and not ill and to know when to speak and when not to speak and all the rest of it, Lord, we, we struggle. We need your help. But we thank you, Lord, that you have extended your grace to us and you've put your spirit in our hearts and we pray, Lord, that we might be more intentional. Give us, give us the desire to learn well and to learn your word well Give us the wisdom we need, Lord, and give us the love that would compel us to choose our words well for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.